to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We will look at chapter 8 and then next week we'll pause and we'll look, have more of a Christmas themed message and then the next week we'll look at our vision for the upcoming year and then we'll jump right back into chapter 9 just to sort of prepare you. If everybody has chapter 8, look up here with me for a minute. As I spoke to the our group at Praise right before we preach here and, and sing and worship. My overall prayer for us as a congregation in this letter of 1 Corinthians is that God may ruin our individualistic American idea of what Christianity is. And here's the truth this morning, whether it's chapter 8 or chapter 7, chapter 15, whatever you pick, whether it's Exodus, Leviticus, Psalms, or Corinthians, you, God's Word will always appear far away from you until we understand that we are not saved individuals. We are saved as the people of God. And this book is written to a people. And until, brothers and sisters, we begin to read this Word this morning, and this is my prayer for you, is that we would read this chapter as a community of people that Christ died to bring us together. And so, I want you to feel that with me this morning. I want you to pray for yourself. I want us to pray for me because we are individualistic and we are Americans. And there's good things to that. But it's, it impedes our ability to understand God's Word. So let's pray for each other as we stand together. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I've got this cast on my arm this morning. I'm trying to figure out what to do with it. I don't know whether to sit it here or here. I got black so it wouldn't be so distracting. You actually say, well, why don't you put it in a sling? Because my shoulder's wore out. If I put it in a sling, my shoulder won't work. So, you know, we're all wore out. God save us. Lord Jesus, come and make us new. But until then, put up with me for the next couple months because I've got I to gotta wear this thing. God's Word, brothers and sisters. Verse 1. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there are many so-called gods in heaven and earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom, all, all, from whom are all things, and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we whom all th are, excuse me, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to idols, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat it and no better if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees that you have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat 
food offered to idols. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. This brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. This is God's word. Let us pray. Lord, this is your word now. This is so practical, Lord. This is so in our everyday choices. Help us, Lord, to think like your people. Help us, Holy Spirit, if there is something in our life that you want to put your finger on today, Lord, put it in mine, Lord, put it in our people's, Lord, put it in theirs, Lord, so that we may help each other grow in the knowledge and love of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in His name. Amen. You can be seated. So this is a real story. The names have been changed to protect those whom it involves. It doesn't involve anybody at this church, but it does involve the church that used to attend. This guy, we'll call his name Sam. It's not his name. Sam loved God's Word, and Sam loved music. So Sam decided that he would learn how to play an instrument because he loved God's Word, he loved music, he really wanted to learn to play. That's a wonderful thing. And he, so he did, and so he came up to me sometime later, and he had a CD in his hand. And he gave it to me, he wanted me to listen to it. So I was coming home, probably had a meeting or something, I'm coming home, put the CD in my truck, and started playing. I didn't know what to do. I almost drove off the road, you know. And I was like, is this a, a parody? Is this a joke? So I looked up, down at it. I said, no, this is a real. He has this picture on the front and everything. And, and so I skipped. I thought maybe it's just the first song. It's got worse. Oh, it's bad. It's bad. I mean, the guy couldn't sing. He couldn't write. He had no rhythm. He had no meter. It was bad. It was painfully bad. Me and Christina dodged him for months, you know, because we was afraid he was going to ask us what we thought about it. He didn't know what to say, you know. We often think like Sam. We get a little knowledge, and then we run for force like a bull in a china shop. Here's the point this morning. You can use right knowledge. You can harm people with it. You can take your truth... And you can break the legs out from underneath your brothers and sisters. This is what he is concerned about. You see, even spiritual growth is dangerous. Why? Because pride is always knocking at our door. Life together. We've been talking about. It's not easy, right? We've been talking about this. Messy. It's complicated. You could say, if they got a problem with what I'm doing, it's their problem. How many... Do- if, you rate, if we was all honest, we've all said that. It's their problem. My conscience is clear that what I'm doing is in line with the glory of God. And Paul's saying, going, it's not your conscience I want to talk about this morning. It's theirs. This is what trips us up. It is the gray areas. If I ask you to raise your hand this morning, I'm going to bring up some issues. Your growth group's not going to have any trouble talking today. Or whenever it means. If I raised your hand and I said, raise your hand if you think marijuana was wrong, everybody mostly in the room would raise their hand. And I said, well, what if your daughter had uncontrollable seizures and the only thing that could control them was a medical marijuana? Would it be okay then? All of a sudden, you see, we have just got incredibly complicated. 
right? There are gray areas and all of us disagree with what we should do in this life together in these areas. Here's his point. Knowledge is good. It's incomplete without love. You can't make the decision, even in the decision, I, the illustration I just used, without love. It's incomplete. True knowledge comes as we humbly and selflessly pursue growing in the knowledge of our Lord with each other. Here's the main idea today. Though we may suppose that we possess a clear biblical knowledge, our choices must not harm our brothers and sisters. To throw that picture up on the screen here. I wanted to just remind us, remember the Greco-Roman culture. This is most likely what the temple, a temple would look like in Corinth for those who worshipped idols. The, the Greco-Roman culture of the day. If you remember, this was about the veneration of gods. It wasn't worship like me and you are doing right now. They were materialists. They venerated the gods. God gave you what you wanted. You prayed to this God or that God, depending on what you wanted. This was the th what was people was being saved out of. This was what the weaker people who were asking questions about food offered to idols. And I just wanted you to see what's going on. In the, so there is an, a lower level and an upper level. You see that? Up here would be the temple. This would be where they would be offering food to idols. They would be burning. Much like if you look in the Bible and you read in the Old Testament... They would offer food to their idols, venerating their gods. And then they would do multiple things with it. Some of it would be burned there. Some of it would be sold to the markets. But some of it came downstairs. You see, there's dining rooms down in the downstairs areas of these places of worship. This would be if you had your daughter was getting married. You would use the dining room in the temple. And you would come in and y'all would have the reception. And the food would be served. Part of the meat would be offered that came from upstairs. You see, that's, that's the question. People are asking the question, is it okay for us as Christians to go down here? What if I'm invited to a wedding or a reception or just the meat's a good price? Is this food automatically tainted? Could Christians buy it? Should I go to a friend's home if they bought meat and I know it and they're, they're feeding it? Should I not go to their home? This was social, you see. Worship for them wasn't separated it was all of life. This was a big social question. A big stigma was coming around with this. That was the question. You see the context. How about us this morning? From social drinking to medical marijuana to what's okay to do on Sunday to whether I should join the Shriners. These questions are going to come up. And we disagree with them and sometimes passionately. So how do we navigate life together? How do we respond? We may suppose to possess a clear biblical knowledge. This is the first part of our main idea. It's our first point. You could remove the suppose from our thing and say we may possess clear biblical knowledge. We're going to see that in a minute. They did, by the way, possess knowledge that was true. I don't want you to look at God's Word now. Every part of God's Word is important, including the colons, the commas, the periods. They're all important. They're all meant to help you understand the original language. We depend on people who interpret Scripture correctly, even when you're looking at your Bible today. Now concerning food offered to Iowa, see colon right there? He's telling you that in the original Greek language, this is starting a new topic. He's bringing up something else that the 
church in Corinth that asked a question about. What about food offered to idols? They wanted to know. It wasn't just about sexuality and purity and whether you should get married. They wanted to know about that too, but they also wanted to know about, what about this? What about that food offered to idols? Notice the quotation marks. Remember, he's been doing this some already. You see that quotation marks there? We know that all of us possess knowledge. This was probably what the Corinthians were saying. All of us are possessed this knowledge. What does he, what does he say? Well, how about food offered to idols? One little other piece. Micah mentioned it yes, last week. Potentially there's a famine in the land. That changes sort of, you think, if that's true, and most people think that it is, of a little bit of what's going on. You're a mama, you're responsible to put meat on the table, and there's a famine in the land. If you've ever been to a third world country, you know that they fill their bellies with starches and grains and stuff, that meat's hard to come by. It's a precious commodity. Potentially, people looking for meat that was inexpensive, that was affordable. Is it okay to buy it? Well, some claim to have the knowledge. They claim to have the answer to the question. And yet he tells them, your knowledge is puffed up. You see that word? He's already used that word once. Chapter 4, verse 6. If you back a few chapters if you want to look at it. It says that, see that none of you are puffed up in favor of one leader versus the other. That word puffed up simply means pride. It's the picture of being inflated by that knowledge. What's the knowledge? Well, we're going to skip to it in verse 4. But suffice it to say, this knowledge was lacking something. See, we're looking at the source of true knowledge. Not saying that the information of what they believed was not correct. They're missing something. See what he says? Knowledge just puffs up, but what? Love builds up. That's what's missing, you see. You see that? This is not an issue of having the right information this morning. It's not even an issue of having the right theology. It's the issue that something's missing, and what is missing makes all the difference in the world. Love is missing, and love is what builds up. Paul loves this picture of building a house, of erecting something. He, what he is saying, this is why if you don't understand community, and if you don't understand discipleship, it makes no difference. That I have a responsibility for Pogi's growth. Pogi has a responsibility for my growth. We are because we're Christians. That's, that's what that means. He's saying, love is what builds the house in his life. It's what builds the house in mine. Not just knowledge. So this is what's missing. He's saying this love, listen, seeks the welfare of others. That's, that is more important than having the right information. You get all your badges and awanas and not love. He's actually saying, I love this, somebody else quoted it, said it. Well, well, you with your knowledge... Take care. It may be in danger instead of a help. That's what he's teaching us this morning. Why? Why should knowledge not puff us up? Why does these wonderful things that we just got through singing not make me prideful in the fact that I know my theology and doctrine? Verse 2. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. My knowledge on my best day is what? It's incomplete. 
Is imperfect. I love this. Somebody said, knowledge is proud that it has learned so much. Wisdom is humble that it knows no more. Proverbs says this, Proverbs 11, 2, just listen to it. It says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. You see that? There's a wisdom. If you don't have humility and if you don't have love, you could have the right knowledge and not know when to use it. And so you use it at the, to the wrong people at the wrong times and you harm people. Verse 3, look what he says. It's almost surprising what he says here. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Now, I would think, if I was writing it, I would have said right there, but if anyone loves God, this is true knowledge. This is what real knowledge is. It's not what he says. Instead, he said that anyone loves God, he is known by God. Parallel passage, you want to turn to it, is in Galatians. Galatians 4, verse 9. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God. Be careful. Thomas Aquinas, if you don't know him, we'll study some church history and get to know him, important figure. Hatches these two verses together and comments this. He is reminding them of the gift received. You were brought to a knowledge of God. What you know about your Lord has been given to you. You were brought to Him and He has revealed Himself to you. And that should humble us, not make us prideful. He is teaching us here a principle that love rather than knowledge is the Christian guide to life with each other. This is, brothers and sisters, a fundamental theme of the whole epistle. He is seeking, like I said before, to wreck our individualistic concerns and even questions and begin to see the answers and the answer that we exist to build each other up as a whole community of faith. And the answer to the question lies in not my individualistic concerns, but love rooted in a goal to build you up and you to build me up. This is not only the key to a healthy church. This is the secret to a healthy marriage. Romans 15 and verse 2. Let each of us please his neighbor so that we may be blessed by God. Is that what it says? Better check me out. See, if you're not turning there, you might think that's actually what the Bible says. It's not what it says. By the way, that's what the pagans did. That's why the pagans went to church. The pagans went to church so God would give them a blessing. That is not Christian. That is abhorrent to the gospel. We do not, I do not help you across the street to earn good credit with my Lord. That's what the Muslims believe. It's not what Christianity. Look at what we do. It's practical, isn't it? Let each of us please his neighbor. Why? For his good. To build him up. This is what brings glory to God. I'm a part of God's family. I can't be any more blessed than that. God takes care of his kids. What have I got to worry about? 
Let each of us please his neighbor. So he's saying, get this though. Look at verse 4 to 6. He's saying, you're right in what you're believing. You're right. Paul's agreeing with them. Verse 4. Therefore, as to eating the food offered to idols, that's the subject. We know that an idol, look at the quotation marks again. We know that an idol has no real existence and, see the quotation marks, there is no God but one. So this was the knowledge they had, right? We have this knowledge. God is one, and so idols have no real existence. This is wonderful theology. Isaiah 44, just one of many, I just picked one. Isaiah 44, verse 8, says this, Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from old and declare it? You are my witnesses. Listen to God asking the question, Is there a God besides me? There is no rock, capital R. I know not of any. All who fashion idols are nothing. The things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see or know that they may be put to shame. Paul agrees. An idol is nothing in this world. God is everything. He agrees. Now, don't get flipped up by this. He's not done. Chapter 10 is coming. There's demonic things going on behind these idols. He's going to get there. It's not his point here. His point is the Shema. You remember that? If you were a Jewish person from childhood, you memorized this. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. They're saying, we believe that. He's saying, you're right. This is fundamental. This is foundational theology. Look at verse 5. Therefore, for although there are many so-called gods, that's important, so-called gods in heaven and earth, there are many gods, quotation mark. We do that too when we talk gods and many lords. The word so-called points to their being correct that these idols have no real existence. They're a meaningless thing in the world. It's not saying there's not power behind them, as we said before. He's going to go on to say there's demonic forces behind them. He's going to sharpen his pen on this issue in coming messages. He's simply comparing a contrast. In comparison with God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son, they're nothing. Greater is He that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen? That's what what they're saying. To make sure that they know He agrees with what they believe. He quotes a creed here. This is important. We've almost lost this, brothers and sisters. The early church had creedal statements that they confessed to each other. So I want us to read verse 6 together. Got your Bibles turned to it? 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6. Let's read together. Yet, for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and from whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. This was a creedal statement that was confessed by the, at the earliest times by the church. Paul has two of them in his letter. The other one being 1 Corinthians 15. He's saying, for us, this is what we believe. We're going to sing that in a minute. This is what we believe. One Lord, 
One Father. You see that? I, we, we believe that we exist for God. He is the point of our life. I am redeemed and you are redeemed and created to bring Him glory. It's what the church of all has always believed. And with that, we have one Lord. And He is not Caesar, nor is He the President, nor is He our American ideologies. It is Jesus Christ. He is Lord. The church has always confessed that. You see that? And so we agree. We are saved for God, and so we live through Jesus Christ. Notice sort of the point there. We are strict monotheists. We believe in one God. And anybody that tries to, to say otherwise does not understand Christianity at all. Notice he points here the unity of creation in the beginning and our salvation. And notice here the creedal statement from the beginning of the church was a unity of both the Father and the Son. You see that? And to that, they would have said, Amen! Let's eat! Right? <laughs> Remember the question? Let's eat! Hey! They got BOGO at the temple today. Buy one pork butt, get another pork butt free. Let's go. <laughs> I said, hold on. However, our choices must not harm our brothers and sisters in Christ. You see that? He's saying your theology is absolutely spot on. Couldn't have said it better. However, verse 7, not all possess this knowledge. Not everybody. He's saying that's true. But not everybody knows it. You see that? He says, hold on a second. Before you get in your car, you get on your horse or your donkey and go to the temple or go to the market. Hold on a second. Not all possess this knowledge. They have not arrived to the therefore yet. Do you remember the therefore? There is no God but one. Therefore, the idols have no real existence. He said, they're going, hold on a second. There's a group of people who believes in the Shema. They confess the creed, but they do not understand yet. They haven't got there that that idol has no real power in it. Why? Look at the text. But some, through their formal association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol. The point is, those that were ready to go and the rows that were eating there was not eating meat as if it was offered to an idol. They was eating meat. They were sitting there going, those idols aren't nothing, God is everything, and this is meat. He's saying not everybody's there. That's what he's calling the weak. Their, their conscience, you see that? Their conscience is inflicting pain on them. When they even get close to the temple. Why? Because of their formal association with the idols. They had habits. They had a lifestyle. They had a behavior that had completely been abandoned. And they were still raw with this effect. They agree with the theology, but the application can be tricky. Listen to this definition of the conscience. It is the psychological faculty that distinguishes right and wrong, either inflicts or comforts the person depending on their actions. He's saying it's not the issue that your conscience is telling you that is absolutely okay. It's not the point. The point is their conscience is not saying that. You see that? 
I don't know how many times I've had a conversation about social drinking in the Southern culture. If I had a dollar, I could pay off my home equity. Right? Notice the point. Look at verse 8. Food's not the issue. You see it? Food's not the issue. The issue is whether we can make a biblical case if social drinking is okay or not. It's not the issue. You can make a case that, that alcohol consumption is not condemned by the Bible and that someone has wrestled with the fact that they are under the Lordship of Christ, that, that, that alcohol has no control over them at all. Maybe they have a six-pack that lasts them for three months. That's true. Here's the point, though. Food's not the issue, nor is alcohol, nor is anything else that we might want to put in there that we're really passionate one way or the other about. It's not the issue. Look what it says. Verse 8. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat it, if we do. Command there just simply means to present oneself. He's saying... That eating that food offered that to idols is not going to make you one step closer to the Lord or further away from Him. He's, he's spiraling back to a principle He's already told us. Flip, flip back to chapter 6. Look at verse 12. Remember what He says? Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is helpful. Could we say that with Paul's communal mind. Everything may be permissible for me individually as Paul, but not everything is helpful for us as a community of faith. Amen? That's what he's teaching us. This is the principle. This is what we must wrestle with when we have a question about something. The issue, brothers and sisters, if you go back to that visual picture on the screen that he gives us in verse 10 is that these folks are going into this temple dining area and they are eating. And this new believer, let's say a month saved, with all of this past that's right behind them, sees us in the temple eating. And nobody wants to be the weak one. Do they? Nobody wants to say, my conscience. Their conscience is saying, get away, get away, get away. I don't even want to walk on the same side of the street as that temple. And yet they see us in the temple eating. Here's the problem. What is that doing to their conscience? That's what he's asking you to consider today. Whatever the question is. So I just want us to ask some questions. Just, just to lay down some questions. What Paul is doing is giving some tools in our toolbox to know how to live life together. Before I apply my liberty. That's what Paul is saying. Hold on a second. Your theology is right. That leads to your conviction that what I'm doing is absolutely fine for me. He's saying, before you do, I want you to ask some questions. Look at verse 7. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some through their formal association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is what? Defiled. That's a ceremonial word simply means to be made dirty. Makes them dirty. So, here's the question today. Before we do what we think we should do, according to God's Word, according to God's character, 
And we wrestle with that before we say, okay, I got it, let's go. So ask yourself the question, will my actions cause my brother and sister to sin against their conscience? Answer the question objectively. Listen, are you, are, you, are you smelling what I'm stepping in this morning? Unless you know your brother and sister, how are you going to know what their conscience bothers them or not? If you're not actively a part of any kind of a small group that gets to know people on an intimate level, how are we going to know? We must. This is why Acts 2 says that people lived in community with each other. Well, my actions caused my brother and sister to sin against their conscience. Look at verse 9. But take care that this right of yours, you see that, does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Now this is spoke about, if we go to Romans 14, Paul's looking at a different context in Romans 14. That's why I'm staying away from it today. I don't, want to, I don't want you to get the arguments, the questions mixed up this morning. This is deal with food offered to idols. Just talking about our weak brothers and sisters. Look what it says. You can become a stumbling block. What is a stumbling block? It's something that's in your way that impedes your forward progress. Remember, Jesus was a stumbling block for the Jews. He stood in their way from what they wanted to do. He says, I am the way. I'm the Messiah. Said in the same way, in the negative way, you can stop someone's forward progress in Christ. So that's the question. Before we do what we want to do, what we think we should do and we can do, will my actions cause my brothers and sisters to stop growing in Christ? And look with me at verse 10. For if anyone sees you, this is the issue, the, the issue at hand. For if anyone sees you that you have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, you see that? Will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? You see the logical question. If he sees you eating in your Christian and you are a mature Christian and you've been, you've been a member of the church in Corinth since it was planted and he has just gotten saved and he sees you eating in that temple, would he not be encouraged? You see that word encouraged? It means to build up. Would he not be built up to also do it? What's the problem? His conscience is staying, stay away from it. This is wrong. You could fall back into this. Don't do it. Don't do it. And yet he sees us doing it and says, I don't want to, I'm going to go do it. That's what he's saying. Will my actions cause my brothers and sisters to fall back into an old sinful habit or lifestyle? You see the question? Very important. Not talking about you. Not talking about your weaknesses. Not talking about what you've overcome. I'm talking about them. That's what Paul's saying. Will my actions cause my brothers and sisters to fall back into an old sinful habit or lifestyle? I, I am getting sick of people who I respect starting things like beer and Bible study. Give me a break. You're going to invite your brother who is an alcoholic to that? Why is that done? That is pride, brothers and sisters. It is not thinking about our brothers and sisters. 450,000 people are addicted to alcohol in North Carolina and 40,000 of them are teenagers, according to AA. We better wake up, brothers and sisters, because the people we love and are sharing the gospel with are struggling in areas and their struggle is ours. 
This is important. This is how we make decisions as a community, as a family, as a husband, as a wife. If it calls them to fall back in a sinful habit or lifestyle, then it's my problem. And just to make sure we understand how serious this is. Paul's got first, verse 11 here. Look at it. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died. Notice this destruction is a present tense destruction. You see that? He is destroyed. Now, almost everything that I studied about that word destroyed points to a spiritual destruction. Everywhere else this is used in Scripture. Multiple theologians studied this verse more than any other verse in the text. Hence my question. Will my action cause my brothers and sisters to destroy their spiritual lives? I believe in the sovereignty of God, brothers and sisters. I believe in election and predestination. I love them. They are beautiful doctrines. But we are responsible for what God says we are responsible for. And we are responsible for the lives of each other. From the physical to the spiritual. We are one in Christ. And what is bad for you is bad for me. What is good for you is good for me. Freedom and rights, what I'm speaking to you of this morning, is discipline. Self-discipline for the glory of God, for the sake of the most vulnerable in our family, in our midst. My freedom must not ever lead to their ruin. This is the gospel and our liberties, brothers and sisters. Here's what he's saying. Do you see it? Why should we destroy one for whom Christ has died? For whom Christ has given up His life? We've just got through singing that and Micah declared it to us. Christ denied His rights for the weak. Who are the weak? So your hand, brothers and sisters. So what's the rest of the story? Emerald Paul Harvey, remember him? So what's the rest of the story? Verse 12 is, and 13, and chapter 9, by the way. To apply good theology selfishly, selfishly is sin. Thus, you see that? Thus sinning against your brothers and sisters and wounding their conscience when it is weak. You sin against who? Christ. Pastor, Sounds like to me, we got a church full of people who's just being oversensitive, right? These people are just being oversensitive. That's why they got a problem with it. Is that Paul's point of this text? He's not teaching us that the weak people are oversensitive. He's teaching us that the mature, with their knowledge correct, are oftentimes undersensitive. That's what he's saying. We are oftentimes undersensitive. Do you remember what Jesus said about the little ones? Let's look at it. Matthew 18, do you remember that? Jesus spoke about the little ones, had a child in the midst of them. You remember that? The little ones there just simply means the weak ones. Matthew 18. Look at verse 3. 
Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of God. Verse 5. Whoever receives one child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better off for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Jesus is meek and mild. Jesus was a fierce shepherd. And listen, this is what God is calling us to. To be a shepherd. One of our brothers and sisters in the past, when somebody asked him who were the treasures of the church, he looked at the widows and the orphans and he said, they are the treasure. The weak ones in our midst are the treasures that God has given us to protect. And we should lay down our very lives and especially our rights to see that they are protected and that they grow in Christ. That's his point today. Not your autonomy and not my autonomy, not our liberty of conscience this morning. Here's what he's teaching us today. When my liberty hurts my brothers and sisters, my liberty has become tyranny and my freedom has become sin. When my liberty hurts my brothers and sisters, my liberty has become tyranny and my freedom has become sin. Therefore, Paul says in verse 13, which launches into chapter 9, if, my, if meat causes my brothers to stumble, I'll never eat it again. And it's not a big deal. So what today? Is this the gospel, so what? If we need the gospel, I'll always say, okay, with all these things, questions I might have, let's come back to this one simple truth. That it was love and not mere knowledge that brought us into fellowship with God. God said His love and His affection on you. And He revealed Himself to you. That's why we know Him. To love is to know and to be known. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 ties our love from God and our love for each other together. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Therefore, brothers and sisters, second, so what? We must be willing to live life in light of the weakest member of our family or congregation. This is the principle that we live by. It's a problem for you. It's a problem for me. Why? Because if I'm going to disciple somebody, if I'm going to counsel somebody and use His Word, I must be able to look at that person and to know them. And to bring God's Word to, to bear intimately and redemptively. It involves me both knowing and loving God and knowing and loving you. Couldn't say it better than what Micah has already said. Philippians 2, 5 to 8. Have this mind in you. Have this mind, brothers and sisters. This is the mind of Christ today. Who saw you in all your depravity and all your unworthiness. And lay down his life so that you could be his family. 
How can we live together and not do less? We can't. Maybe we won't. Just listen to these couple of passages and I'm done. Matthew 5. Church, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people put a light put it under, the ba- under a basket, but on a stand so it can give light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that you may see your good works and give glory to, the, to God, Father who is in heaven. Jesus went on to say in John chapter 13, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. May all our conscious choices be made with each other in mind. Lord, much has been said and discussed today. Lord, I pray for our growth groups that are meet or for good conversations that need to be had about, well, what about this and what about that? And Lord, but may you put these tools in our toolbox, our spiritual toolbox to be able to be pulled out and used, and especially, Lord, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of others for people who really want to bring glory to you. This is the issue, God. Oh, help us to know when someone wants to do what they want to do, when someone really wants to follow you, may we be a family that can help each other follow you. May we not divide over non-essentials. May we wrestle to know the Lord. God, we want to know you. We want you to reveal yourself to us so that we can know you more. So God, today, would you allow us to declare to you what we believe. And then would you give us the strength to show us how then must we live. Today, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together.